very much and let's go to chris jancy now in harrisburg uh, with a, a, the view from there you spent a lot of time in that part of the country recently uh tell us what you're seeing and and, and how people are reacting well first of all we're getting some new votes we are expecting them to drop in allegheny county very very soon they only have twenty thousand left to count they say they're going to get that done tonight no matter what they've been working around the clock the pittsburgh steelers even sent dinner in for the workers so they're raring to go until they get that last twenty thousand done That'll be a big, big indicator for Joe Biden, who believes he's going to do extremely well in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, the other thing the governor said, picking up on what Rahimit uh, said earlier, is that this is kind of a stress test for democracy. And you can kind of feel the tension. Harrisburg is a state capital. People are used to the rough and tumble of politics. But this is really intense. The governor and the secretary of state held a press conference. And then over on the corner just behind me, one of the leaders, a Republican leaders of the Senate came out and once again called for the Secretary of State to step down. There's been a lot of pressure on them. They say they're not going to bend to it. Tonight, 300, 350 people, demonstrators from unions, from progressive groups, went onto the steps of the Capitol just to show support for Joe Biden, and especially for the governor and the Secretary of State, asking that every vote be counted. And when I talk to a lot of political folks around here, they're already starting with the what ifs because they know that ultimately this could be a very tight race. They're talking about automatically um, having a recount at half a percent. Well, what if it's just near half a percent? Then we might have to bring in the military and foreign ballots, which don't have to come in until next week. 
So it may be a while before we actually figure everything out here in Pennsylvania, guys. Chris Chancic, thank you, Chris. All right, let's go to Andrea Mitchell. She's holding down the fort in Philadelphia. Andrea, I know you've been working the phones. What are you hearing? Well, here in Philadelphia, I've got to tell you, and also out in some of the other, you know, more rural areas, the Democrats that I'm talking to are very confident about the margins they're seeing as this process goes on. They don't think they'll finish it till Friday, but they think they will finish it by Friday. And, you know, they're seeing big margins here in Philadelphia, certainly. Well, this is the, the biggest Democratic ratio of voters in the state. This in Allegheny County and Pittsburgh. But they're really seeing that people are adjusting to this mail-in process. The people are complaining about how slow it is. And there's a whole process where the ballots have to be certified, you know, sent to the state and back and... Uh, a lot of people complaining about that process. In fact, uh, as we know, Joe Biden was talking to the Philadelphia officials here last night, you know, long-standing friends of his who were in Congress for a long time, former officials who were now running, running the city Democratic Party, Bob Brady, who uh, was a congressman for 21 years. And you know, he was a little frustrated, or he was asking, you know, what's going on with the count last night. But apparently when Brady talked to him this afternoon, he was very upbeat, especially after the Michigan uh, Michigan returns came in and that race was, was called for him. So uh, apparently, and you saw Biden today, very, very, uh, very much more confident than he was last night when they were really on pins and needles about Pennsylvania. So as Lester was referring to earlier in the evening, these lawsuits are coming and the Republicans were here today, Giuliani and Eric Trump. but. They're pretty confident that they can get through it because the count has to be done before the actual legal challenges. That's what Bob Bauer and the whole legal team surrounding Bob, that, you know, Joe Biden say. You got to count the votes, then you can start challenging. Yeah, that's the process, uh, Andrew. I'm glad you brought that up because that's where we're turning next. What those legal options are for the campaigns in those tight, tight races. Here with some answers, Justice Correspondent Pete Williams. Duke University law professor Guy Charles, who is an uh, expert in election law. Pete, let's start with you because you can set the scene. Uh, as you've been reminding us, we don't have to wait for some cases to get to the Supreme Court. In at least one case in Pennsylvania, it's already there. Uh, how do you see this terrain as we sit here tonight? So that's the lawsuit in which the Republicans are saying that the ballot deadline should not have been extended by the state Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and that only the state legislature can do it. Now, that sits there on the Supreme Court's doorstep. It has not decided whether to hear that appeal. If Pennsylvania could make a difference, if the votes, you could, you could probably switch enough votes if you went to court, uh, you'd have to say to yourself how many ballots actually came in during that extended period, that would be the place where the Republicans would go and try to breathe new life into that lawsuit. But the rest of the lawsuits that the, the Republicans have filed around the states, and I think there's seven or eight of them now in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada, and Georgia, they're all kind of nibbling away at the margins. None of them, as the president said last night, seek to stop the vote counting. Other lawsuits in Pennsylvania say, for example, that the ballots were not handled right or voters were given, uh, they shouldn't have been given the chance to come in and fix any problem with their mail-in ballots, uh, or the uh, right IDs aren't there, that kind of thing. Observers aren't getting a chance to look at the process well enough. Uh, and machines shouldn't be used to verify signatures. Uh, the way ballots are duplicated, if they're damaged, should be more closely watched. Uh, you know, just to give you an example of the, of the sort of way that the, these lawsuits are kind of, as I say, nibbling at the margins, 
Just a short time ago, the Republicans filed a lawsuit uh, in Pennsylvania saying, hey, the counties, the state's got it wrong on how many days you have to come in and, and supply missing proof of identification if it's not there. They've added three extra days. They shouldn't have done that. So that's the kind of thing we're seeing in terms of these lawsuits. Nothing that would stop the count anywhere. Yeah, let me ask Professor Charles, how much latitude do the courts typically give the local election, you know, county level, state level folks? Um, plenty of latitude, Lester. I mean, as Pete said, the problem for the campaign is that it has to identify a legal violation, um, either to stop the count or to, or to get into court. So there will be plenty of latitude here for the state officials. And as uh, your reporters have said, they're all being extremely careful to make sure that they're counting the votes in a manner that is not going to violate anyone's rights or, or the law. So as long as they're behaving consistent with the law, then it's going to be extremely difficult to challenge their decisions, especially where the, they're given some discretion in making those decisions. All right, Professor, thank you. I bet we'll be back with you as the days go on. Pete, you can bet on it. Uh, our special coverage of Decision 2020 continues in just a moment. One day, we'll look back and remember the moment that things, for one strange time in our lives, got very quiet. We worried over loved ones, over money, over our planet, and over takeout. Let's remember this time when so many struggled to feel secure and build a future where everyone can. Because when the world seems like it's standing still, that's the perfect time for us to change it. Beautiful. But support the lead. When I started Cobra Kai, the lack of control over my business made me a little intense. But now I practice a different philosophy. QuickBooks helps me get paid, manage cash flow, and run payroll. And now I'm back on top with Koala Kai. Yes! Hey! No mercy. Save over 30 hours a month with Intuit QuickBooks, the easy way to a happier business. holiday give the gift of WeatherTech from our laser measured floor liners a cargo liner Christmas tree mat and cup phone to secure your phone in virtually any vehicle this season order the perfect gift at weathertech.com and don't forget WeatherTech gift cards tomorrow on today the latest election updates live from the key battleground states we are not concerned about being first we are concerned about being right tracking the vote count and what it all means we're gonna take you through everything you need to know tomorrow on today
there it is in Wisconsin. Now, NBC has declared Joe Biden the apparent winner. Why is it apparent and not the projected winner? Because the margin is just so close. The difference of 20,000 votes, which brings it uh, likely within the margin if you want to pursue a recount on behalf of the Trump campaign, and every indication is that they will. By the way, when we do apparent yes. winner, yes. if you notice, it's at 99% in. We never say 100 for that when we do apparent. Because what we're saying is, we think this is all the vote there is. But we don't know for sure. We don't know if there's another error. We don't know if there's something more that comes in. So we're not going to sit here. It's it's why it, well, you'll never see 100 on an apparent call. Okay. And that, that is why, because I'm sure some people are going, whoa, it was 1%. And sometimes you're like, what is that 1%? Could that 1% be 30,000 votes or that 1% 3,000 votes? Um, but in this case, it's apparent simply because we're being careful. Let's show you some other boards, including uh, Arizona, which we've, you know, we've been watching since last night, and that uh, what seemed like a, you know, Biden out in front here, but we have... Uh, uh, we're, moment, we're looking at Wisconsin, but we're looking at Wisconsin. Yeah. Lester, we are... I was going to say, I thought, minutes, wow, did that go... Yeah, I, I got thrown minutes, there. <laughs> no, Ten minutes away from Arizona releasing new numbers. Let's focus on Wisconsin for a moment, because it does seem that that state is headed for recount territory. We want to bring in NBC News contributor Jeremy Bash. And as we said before, he's a veteran of these wars. He was there at the Florida recount in 2000, a young lawyer working for then-Democratic candidate Al Gore and also with the Chief White House correspondent Hallie Jackson, who, of course, is familiar with the legal strategy of the Trump campaign. Um, let's start with you, Hallie. What, is there any doubt at all that recounts will be pursued by the Trump campaign wherever what? they can be? Yeah, at this point, that is the strategy, Savannah, kind of a, sh a shock and all legal strategy, frankly. You look at some of these states, so in Wisconsin, and we should note this, that technically the, the Trump campaign cannot actually file that recount yet. They are threatening to do so. They are saying they're planning to do so, but that can actually get triggered for another few days. So just to be clear on that, it's not as though that paperwork has begun because it can't be. That said, they are pursuing that strategy in Wisconsin because it is potentially, depending on how these states fill out that are currently uncalled, uh, could make a difference for them. You also look at Pennsylvania and the legal strategy there. Just in the last couple of minutes, between the time you were talking with Pete Williams about the legal strategy and the time that we're talking now, the Trump campaign filed yet another lawsuit. They have, according to the RNC, some 500 volunteer lawyers in that state alone, multiple firms on retainers. It is a full-court press. It is also not an unexpected one. This is something that has been foreshadowed for several weeks now as the Trump campaign has been looking at the numbers, as it seemed as though this race was going to be extremely close as they want to pursue this sort of, you know, battleground blitz, if you will, when it comes to these challenges. I have to tell you, based on some conversations that I've had tonight, um, I, I spoke with one person close to the campaign. There, There is some discomfort, I think, in some circles about the strategy that is being pursued because of who is leading that strategy. I think outside of the president's immediate orbit, there are those who are looking at people like Rudy Giuliani uh, mm -hmm. and, and those who appeared in Philadelphia today and wondering if they are perhaps the best suited people to be pursuing this kind of strategy, if it is, in fact, to be a serious one. So that's kind of where we are with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And I want to mention one other state. I know we're teeing up to the top of the hour here in Arizona, where we expect to get that ballot dump from Maricopa County. And I want to give you some clarity and some insight into why the Trump campaign thinks that they're going to do potentially very well here. It's one thing to say it, but here's some back of the envelope math, right? We heard from the Arizona Secretary of State earlier in this broadcast that there are about 600,000 roughly ballots, votes they think estimated to be still out there. The Trump campaign believes that President Trump could get, based on the numbers they have seen so far, something like 60% of those returns coming in, of the support that's still left. That
that's listen an ambitious number but they say that that is what they're seeing based on the data if you do the math if you work out the numbers that would with the difference being 92,000 right now that is why the trump campaign thinks that they could be over by the end of the the ballot counting in arizona by about 30,000 votes they don't expect to see that tonight they don't expect to see it tomorrow which i think is thursday they're looking at maybe friday to be able to see some of those numbers coming in from arizona so just to give you a little bit of a sense of why the trump camp thinks that it could go in their direction at this point again 60 percent number is a question mark particularly as chuck knows and savannah you know well with arizona on where the, the count is coming in but that's the thinking inside uh, folks that i've been talking to all right hatley so let's, let's turn to jeremy bash we uh, gave his resume uh, on the recount issue so what comes to mind, Jeremy, when you're talking about recounts, you're looking at Wisconsin, potentially Georgia, potentially Arizona, potentially Nevada. Uh, what are the considerations, whether you're the Trump campaign or the Biden campaign? Because we, we may see those challenges on both sides. Well, Savannah, first of all, you can't recount votes that you hadn't first counted. So, for example, for the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania and Georgia, where the votes are still being counted, they have no mechanism to ask for a recount because the votes haven't been counted. And it certainly wouldn't do the Trump campaign much good in Michigan and Arizona to ask for a recount or even to stop the counting of the votes because, of course, they're behind the Biden campaign, which I guess brings us back around to Wisconsin and just, again, looking at the math, if Trump is trailing Biden in Wisconsin by about 20,000 votes, it is almost impossible during a recount to overcome a deficit of 20,000. In the Florida recount in 2000, which you referenced, Gore was down by about 1,000 votes after the initial recount. And at the end of the day, at the end of the recount, he was trailing by 500 votes. So he made up only about a net of 500. The idea that Trump could make up 20,000 Wisconsin, I think, is pretty strained. What's, what's the end game, then? Why, why pursue the strategy of recounts if, if you don't think it's going to move the needle and, and, and take you across the finish line? Any port in a storm, Lester, Joe Biden is on the cusp of 270. If Arizona goes his way and Nevada goes his way, he's the president of the United States, and he said so much today in his remarks, and I think the Trump campaign is looking for something, anything to hold on to, a desperate attempt to change the dynamic here. All right, Jeremy, thank you. Casey, uh, you know, it'll be interesting because I think Hallie put it well. It's a scorched earth legal strategy for the Trump campaign right now, and there's two tracks. There's the recount track where it's available to them, and it's the lawsuit track. And Pete Williams decided and described how there's, you know, it's piecemeal. It's a, a thousand cuts, right? A lawsuit here, a lawsuit there. There's no one single lawsuit that you file against the entire election. That's not how we vote. Where do you think Republicans in Congress will come down as this goes on? Um, you know, they obviously have just learned through the election that supporting the president and hugging the president is good politics for them. They have, Savannah, but I actually, I've been watching this pretty closely over the last 24 hours to try and answer exactly this question. Were they going to join the president in, in calling into question the results? And so far, you haven't really seen it. And part of that is, you know, Republicans have done pretty well. They uh, have held on to more Senate seats than they anticipated. They've won more House seats. And if you're calling into question the results of the election, you're calling those results into question as well. So there's a little bit of tension for them. And I, I do think that there is not a willingness, and, and this is kind of what I've been trying to test. Before this election, I was picking up a real um, unwillingness to trash the Republican Party brand completely, throw it out the window in favor of Donald Trump if he was going to lose big. And my question was, okay, if he didn't lose that big, uh, would they still do it? It seems to be holding so far.
All right, uh, we're going to take a pause right here. We're almost at the top of the hour, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock uh, out in the Mountain West. Why do we mention the Mountain West? Because that's where uh, the, the eyes of the political universe will be focused. Arizona about to release uh, potentially hundreds of thousands of ballots tonight, and the first batch will come in moments we expect. We'll be here. Much more to come. We continue our live coverage, Decision 2020, right here on NBC. For breaking news in our changing world, download the NBC News app. have thyroid eye disease and you can't get any shut eye because you can't shut your eyes mm. or if your itchy eyes have you itching for a fight it might be time to discover another treatment option for thyroid eye disease also known as TED to learn more visit treatted.com that's treat TED.com Welcome back, friends, to LX News. NBC LX. Welcome to LX News. The world is full of stories. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that change each day. We live in some very uncertain times. NBC LX is a brand new network that dives deep. We want to look at what they actually mean. Taking this to a whole new level. Covering stories you need to know. Money, technology, politics, the environment. Let's have this conversation. Watch LX News mornings and evenings over the air on cable and at LX.com. The largest investigative team defending Southern California for you. NBC News continuing coverage of 2020 as we uh, wait for a new batch of numbers from Arizona. We want to show you where things stand right now. Pennsylvania, obviously, uh, looming large here. Too early to call, uh, according to NBC News. Nevada, uh, it's also too close to call right now. 86% expected vote there. We await more votes and more results from Nevada tomorrow morning, bright and early. In Georgia... Georgia down at below 40 Look okay. at that thing. Keeps dipping down. All right, because they're still counting votes in Georgia. Predominantly, those Georgia are coming from the Atlanta suburbs, which is why uh, Joe Biden is starting to eat into that margin. We'll keep an eye on that one. North Carolina, too close to call. This one is another uh, by, a, by a hair. We'll watch that one. Ballots still coming in probably as late as next week in North Carolina. Alaska, it is uh, too early to call the presidential race. And once again, that brings us to Arizona, where we are expecting uh, sometime uh, around now, sometime in this half hour, uh, uh, a new group of numbers, and many of them coming from Maricopa County. Yeah, so let's uh, put the map up. This is it, the road to 270. You see where it stands tonight. And the focus right now on Arizona. Chuck, let's talk about it. Are you clicking refresh on your computer? I, I am. Seeing <laughs> if the, uh, the votes are coming in. Well, here's what I want to, yeah, yes, I They're have coming from all over Maricopa way, County tonight. I, I have been doing get. that um, with both with both Georgia and, and Arizona. Look, I know we're going to bring our pollsters in, and, and like I said, one of our, uh, Bill McIntyre, the Republican half of our team, does a lot of work in Arizona, knows it really well, has done work for Senator McCain, for Governor Ducey there. And I just want to remind folks, let's go in. I mean, 
Maricopa, this is a relatively new blue county, right? I mean, this is, I want to just show you a little bit of history here. You know, this, and, and you know, if you win Maricopa, you win the state. There's, there's a, 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 there's an example out there of somebody who narrowly lost it by like a thousand votes and won a statewide race. But for the most part, you can't win statewide without winning Maricopa because it's such a large populous county. This is a re this is basically like a lot of the suburban counties in America. It has been trending from uh, a lean red to a lean blue. And you can just see it here, as you can see, Joe Biden. So we don't know, we can't sit here and assume that any of this vote, the way we've seen it in the Atlanta suburbs and the Philly suburbs, those are, those are huge margins. Those are 70, 30, 80, 20. I don't expect that here. This is why we don't know where in Maricopa. Maricopa is a county state. I mean, there are pockets of Maricopa. There are really blue pockets of Maricopa, really red pockets of Maricopa. And one thing the Secretary of State, and I think we tried to prod it out, or hey, can you tell us where? Uh, is this coming from, you know, from Arizona State, or is this coming from Scottsdale, right? Like, that's that's the issue here, and this is why, ooh, I just saw some numbers move. I, when I see the numbers roll, it is actually coming in. I just saw the numbers move. That means... Um, it's it's all happening, so we should be getting okay. some numbers as it comes in. I just saw, yep, see, you can, um, although that's the statewide vote. So, okay. we'll be watching. Keep an eye on it. Yep. Uh, you mentioned our pollsters. Let's go to them. Uh, and and I, we've got Bill McInturf, who is uh, one of our pollsters for NBC News, Wall Street Journal. He's a Republican. We also have Democratic pollster Jeff Horwitz of Heart Research Associates. So we got all the bases covered. Bill, let's go right to you. Um, so we know that we're expecting... Well, there's 600,000 votes outstanding in Arizona, we learned from the Secretary of State, approximately 400,000 of which are from Maricopa County, and we're going to start to see those uh, perhaps dumped out in batches this evening. What do you make, uh, you know, what do you make of where they're coming from? Would you rather be Joe Biden in this moment or Donald Trump? Well, I gosh, I just say this as a Republican, but you'd rather be Joe Biden. You're up 95,000 votes. There's 600,000 votes left. You've got to win the outstanding vote by about 18% to break even. But here's why that's possible. Because Republicans drop their ballots off in person. And if you look at the Election Day vote, all, all across Arizona yesterday, people who voted on Election Day, they were voting for Trump by either 20 to 40 point margins, depending which county they're in. So these ballots include, as you were hearing, the green ballots, people dropping them off in person. And so when the Trump people say, hey, we could be up 20, they might. And this could, I think, it will get closer, whether you can make up 95,000 votes. I think that's that's a, that's a lift, but it's, it's what makes America great. It's interesting. <laughs> and Jeff, I guess the same question to you. Where do the uh, where do the Trump folks see those, see those numbers? Are they real or are they fool's gold? Well, again, I think this first batch, uh, you know, we'll, we have to wait and see. And, uh, you know, but we do know, you know, a lot of the vote that's out, whether it's Arizona or other places, you know, the projections are there about 21 million votes still out there, and we need to make sure that they're counted. And uh, what we do know, what we've seen in other places, whether it's North Carolina or Georgia uh, or Pennsylvania, that the vast, vast majority of the vote that's still out there is this early vote, uh, which, uh, given how divided our country is and how we voted, we know that that is uh, a vote that is much more likely to go for Joe Biden. So we'll see how this first... <clears throat> of Maricopa. You've, you've, uh, I, I was bragging on your work there. You've done a lot of work for over a decade in Arizona. So you've had to navigate Maricopa 
from a Republican point of view as it's been shifting away from the Republicans. So, you know, I'm, I'm, there are good parts of Maricopa for the Republicans. There are good parts of Maricopa for the Democrats. So walk us through it a little bit of what's been changing and, and, and what, you know, could be your expectation. All right. So you remember that great line, you never put your hand on the same river twice. Maricopa is not the Maricopa of four years ago. Arizona has gone through an economic boom. Uh, good God bless my governor, uh, Doug Ducey. But you know what's happened? One, there's been a high-tech boom in Tucson and in, and in all across Maricopa. There's been new jobs created. More than one out of three people in Maricopa County weren't said they've registered in the last four years. So you've got, uh, and you've got Generation Z and Millennials moving to the Mountain West. And then lastly, of course, you have a Latino population that's aging in the electorate. And so sort of like everything you think you know about Arizona from four years ago, this is a very different state. Um, and, and what you're watching is real, which is Arizona moving from a red state to truly a, a, a toss-up state as Arizona has changed demographically. And that's the big thing that you're seeing here in Arizona right now. Let's go to Gotti Schwartz. Gotti's on the ground there uh, at, at one of the places where the, 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 the ballots are being uh, processed and assessed. Gotti, I, I know you're clicking refresh. You got any new numbers for us? Yeah, yeah I've been clicking refresh on my uh, cell phone. I'm going to try to show you this if, if you can see it. Uh, but this just came in. We know that it's a, a bump, a slight bump for Biden. The total votes now are 887,000. Uh, and then this is Trump Pence down here, 802,000. So uh, we're trying to do a little bit of the number crunching ourselves, uh, just looking at uh, what it was before. My math is horrible, but uh, right now we know that the updated results show uh, 1.729 uh, million votes out here. Uh, so uh, th again, th we, we know that there were about uh, 400,000 votes still outstanding. Now this dropped down to about 300 or so thousand. So that batch may have been about 100,000, like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, maybe 70,000. We're still gonna do the math there, but it does show uh, that uh, Biden has gotten a little bit of a bump from this and remember when we're talking about 500,000 votes uh, and 500,000 ballots that are still out there and the race is getting closer and closer we're doing uh, some more math and it looked like President Trump if he wanted to to win the vote here in uh, in Arizona he would need about six out of every ten people that have dropped off these ballots to be voting for him Ooh. and what we've seen now is about this 70 60 70 thousand uh, batch hit and it doesn't look like there were many more votes for Trump uh, instead it gave just a little bit of a, a smidgen of a bump to Biden so we're going to continue to to do some math here on the, all these different screens. I know that you guys are, are tabulating uh, back at 30 Rock with uh, some much bigger screens. So hopefully you guys will have a little bit of better math. Uh, but also, we've got people back. If you can take a look here, they are back. They are crunching those numbers. Uh, that's what, you, what I was talking about a little bit earlier. That's the bipartisanship. One person Democrat, one person Republican. They become friends during, throughout this entire process. And they are verifying uh, the, their, their basically uh, verifying those ballots, making sure that everybody is staying within the lines or making sure that they know exactly which candidate was selected before they put it into these tabulation machines. Uh, that takes uh, quite a long time. So this is a process that is uh, slowly but surely moving. We've got a little bit of a trickle coming out. We should have another batch hitting in about two hours, but this is not an earth-shattering earth news that we were expecting.
so much is going to happen in this room right yeah. here, and it could decide the rest of this election, Savannah. Okay. Thank you, Gotti. Jeff, what do you think? Chuck, we don't have anything on our map. We have nothing yet. And, okay. you know, one of the ways, you know, when, when we do this, our folks like to go over that. We don't just pour the data in our system because, again, we actually found this um, last night. Uh, if you were following the Virginia results for some reason, my my adopted home state these I days. I was briefly. Right. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, found, we thought we found an error in their Fairfax, and when Fairfax um, uh, delivered their vote. We thought they may have double counted something. So we sent it. We were like, no, 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 we're not putting in our, we're like, put it in. Whoa, we took it out of the system um, and said, hey, we need to go through this, make sure there isn't double counting going on. And there was a lot of concern of double counting this year, not because people would do it on purpose. You're just dealing with a lot more mail-in votes and all this. And so there's always been, we know there's multiple categories now of stuff. So that's, we're, when we get this vote, we don't just put it into the system. Right, we do actually vet it ourselves. Well, let's just take one quick second. Those folks behind Gotti Schwartz and the people across the country that are doing all of this tabulating who are, you know, probably making mistakes. They're dealing with so much. They're out working for all of us in this pandemic. I, I don't know. I just, I, the whole country I've been saying, thinking, you finish it? Yeah. <laughs> I know, but we By should be way, saying thank you. They, we really they, should. Yeah, and it's thankless that time. They it don't really get is. it. They don't get thanked. They get probably. Yeah. Let's, let's, say thank you. <laughs> let's bring in uh, former Democratic Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill and conservative columnist and editor of National Review, Rich Lowry. Both are NBC News political uh, contributors. Uh, Claire, I'm just curious. Uh, this is a, a, a moment we're all watching these uh, these numbers trickle in, uh, and, and certainly both campaigns are right now. Is this one of the gut check moments along the way to, to 270? Well, I think it is, although this is quite a margin they would have to overcome. I mean, these votes would have to be pretty lopsided for Trump to take the lead in Arizona. And I spent the afternoon on the phone with a lot of my former colleagues, and nobody knows states better than the senators that are from those states. Oh. When you have to run statewide, you know it like the back of your hand. There is a lot of comfort about what's going to come in Nevada, and there's tremendous confidence about Pennsylvania at this point. I was surprised how confident people were about Pennsylvania ending up in Joe Biden's column. Uh, and the recount stuff is kind of weird. I've never seen a recount be successful when there's tens upon thousands of votes difference between the two candidates. Yeah. I frankly don't get it. Usually it's the recounts that matter when you're within a thousand votes of each other. <laughs> and, and Rich, uh, you want to weigh in on the, on the recount idea, um, you know, the risk reward? Uh -huh. Recounts, I mean, unless it's razor, razor thin, you know, 100 votes, 200 votes, you're, you're just not going to overturn a result. And Arizona is really key here for Trump's path, which has diminished over the last 12 hours or so. And I, I think really the, the most plausible path, perhaps the only path, is holding Pennsylvania, which is going to be tough. I've talked to Republicans in, in Pennsylvania who uh, Claire's friends are optimistic. My friends in Pennsylvania are pessimistic. They're not sure Trump can hold on in, in Pennsylvania, but he needs to hold on in Pennsylvania, hold on in Georgia, which is going to be real close, hold on in North Carolina, and somehow flip either Arizona and Nevada. And Arizona would seem the most likely. And just if, if Arizona goes to Biden, this will be a sign that Trump his electoral path, although it worked for him in, in 16, it's come really close this time, might even end up working for him this time. It's just too narrow. You, There are suburbs all over 
the country. You know, part of the problem with the Obama coalition, when Obama wasn't on the ballot and blowing the doors off in terms of turnout, it was maldistributed geographically. It was too coastal, it was too urban. But there are suburbs everywhere. And the Republican Party will have to figure out a way going forward to still appeal to these Trump-based voters. They're part of the Republican coalition going forward, but not to be uh, so hated in the suburbs. That's just not sustainable. Yeah, it's so interesting to me to look at the map and just take a moment and just, you know, we've got little embers burning in several different states. I mean, there's a story going in multiple states. We remember Florida, Florida, Florida. Now it's Arizona, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. There's so much going on in this map. And Claire, you know, here we are entering this transition period and this period of uncertainty. And, you know, what are your concerns about how these days and weeks will proceed while there is still uncertainty about the result here? Well, I'll be honest with you, Savannah, my biggest concern right now is any damage that might be done to the essence of our democracy. Um, You know, people need to have faith that their votes count. Uh, We have been the city on the hill when it comes to a democracy that allows every vote to count equally to every other vote. And what the president did last night is unprecedented, as we've said many times about this president, but it's really corrosive to the democracy that we hold dear. And I worry most about the damage that the president could do to the democracy trying to undermine the results of this election between Uh now and next January. Rich, what do you think uh, Republicans uh, in leadership will do as this plays out if there's concern over, um, look, asking for a recount, if it's within his rights, you know, you can question or or debate the strategy, but if it's within his rights, it's within his rights. Filing lawsuits, if it's within his rights, it's within his rights. But what do you think Republicans um, in leadership, like a Mitch McConnell, for example, will think about this strategy? Well, I think if it becomes anything more serious, you'll get some more serious pushback from Republicans who are mostly just cringing privately now. And the mm-hmm. chances are the president's bark is going to be worse than his bite here. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I, I don't like what he's saying on Twitter. I don't think he should say it. Um, but in terms of the legal strategy so far, it's been penny ante lawsuits about getting election observers into these counts when, according to the reporting, the observers are already there. So that's, it's just not really going to affect things one way or the other. And I think that the biggest potential, as we were talking last night, for really consequential uh, litigation would be in Pennsylvania if it's extremely close and it goes to these late arriving absentee ballots. That could really go up to the Supreme Court and be a highly contentious case. But uh, maybe Pennsylvania is not that close. Maybe Trump wins Pennsylvania. You know, he's not going to sue over Pennsylvania if he actually wins it. And he, he can win Pennsylvania, and Biden still has a path. So uh, I, I think we just need to wait to see how it plays out. All right. Uh, Rich, thanks to both as always. And we're going to take a break right here. We'll be back. More coverage, more numbers when we can talk. Okay. One day, we'll look back and remember the moment that things, for one strange time in our lives, got very quiet. We worried over loved ones, over money, over our planet, and over takeout. Let's remember this time when so many struggled to feel secure and build a future where everyone can. 
because when the world seems like it's standing still, that's the perfect time for us to change it. Beautiful. But support the lead. When I started Cobra Kai, the lack of control over my business made me a little intense. But now I practice a different philosophy. QuickBooks helps me get paid, manage cash flow, and run payroll. And now I'm back on top with Koala Kai. More mercy. Save over 30 hours a month with Intuit QuickBooks, the easy way to a happier business. holiday give the gift of WeatherTech from our laser measured floor liners a cargo liner Christmas tree mat and cup phone to secure your phone in virtually any vehicle this season order the perfect gift at WeatherTech.com and don't forget WeatherTech gift cards Uh, some hope 
But you know, these these are some some new questions I think that are that are being explored. The now reason it dollars. matters is if you put up the map to 270, uh, and, and the, it really, and that's why you saw the Trump campaign so um, unhappy last night that other networks had called Arizona for Biden because when you put the map up, you know that. If Arizona goes for Biden and he's picked up that one extra electoral vote in Nebraska, that's the strike state on our map, then Biden would no longer need Pennsylvania. Right, and assuming he picks assuming up Nevada, he gets as Nevada. Well. Right. So that is why these Mountain West states have become so critical to the Biden campaign. It's giving them a cushion with or without Pennsylvania. That's why everyone is hanging on Nevada right. and Arizona right, right now, Chuck. But by the way, and this is where even as Trump gets good news in Arizona, not getting good news in Pennsylvania. This number keeps coming down. But suppose you still get new votes there? We're still getting some trickle in, and it's down to 190,000. Point is, is that it, it is, you know, which again, I always just take you to Philly where we have no new votes. You know, 190,000, he can, it, it keeps shrinking as stuff comes in. Biden can end up basically picking this up. Um, uh, Philly's, Philly's the big one, Philly and Delaware. Um, could be enough alone to make up that margin. This is why all of the, you heard Rich and Claire sharing their sources. I'm hearing the same thing. I think you're hearing the same thing. Ton of Democratic bullishness, Republican pessimism about this. So you realize, I mean, I, I mean go to our map here. I mean, you put you put Pennsylvania blue, um, and it, we don't, we, Arizona doesn't matter uh, right. for, but, for him right now. Neither does Nevada, neither does Georgia, neither does North Carolina. That's suddenly a pretty... And then everything else becomes gravy for Biden. So as good news for the president here, this is not shaping up very well in Pennsylvania right now. Yeah, the only I mean, the, the, the challenge, of course, obviously, is that if we if, if there are legal fights in Pennsylvania, there are, there are already cases that uh, are headed uh, for the Supreme Court that relate to what counts as a legal ballot in Pennsylvania. Uh, the president's strategy is more developed in terms of trying to fight that. I mean, and we could be bogged down in Pennsylvania. Right. Right. If, if you're rooting for close. resolution and peace, That's you right. don't want Pennsylvania to be the linchpin because it's going to be an all-out legal war, and all of the seeds of that are already present. There is already a case before the Supreme Court that was tabled, but has it's a, has the ability to be resuscitated and brought back to life if it becomes relevant, which it would if Pennsylvania ends up being the linchpin of someone's victory. Yeah. Because Casey's husband and I like lived in Florida again, uh, at least mentally. <laughs> Florida, Florida, Florida. I've heard a lot of that. A producer here at NBC and meet the professor. And it really reminded me, you cannot, this recount strategy does not work in multiple states. Okay. Mm -hmm. It is one state. In fact, you know, there at that during that 2000 election, there was some thought that, that the, the Bush campaign at the time thought, hey, maybe we ought to ask for a recount in New Mexico. If I remember, New Mexico was, was one that was really tight. Um, and maybe we ought to ask for a recount in Iowa. Iowa Gore had carried it really tight. And the idea was, well, you're going to do that. We're going to do that. And then they said, no, 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 no. This is, this is the 270. Let's go. If you're just, if you're all over the map, you're not gonna you're not gonna win the narrative. I hate to say that. You're not gonna you know, you make it about one state, you might be able to concentrate all the energy, you concentrate all the focus, you concentrate all the political sort of strength of, of your side or the other into that one state. The president's problem is, you know, all right, I'm gonna try Wisconsin, I'm gonna right. try Arizona, I'm gonna try Pennsylvania. And I just, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not going to look legitimate. Well, and this is why I think what the president is saying about this is so important, because the frame that gets 
put on this is something that's going to matter. He is creating a reality for the people who support him. And I mean, part of, I think, for those people that you mentioned, Savannah, who are wishing for resolution, I think there's an acknowledgement that going through something like what we went through in Florida in 2000 in Pennsylvania in this scenario would be something that would really be incredibly divisive and difficult for the country and for all of us. And, uh, you know, I think it's part of why also the, the Biden campaign strategy is important to, play, to pay attention to until we have a resolution in these Mountain West states, because, you know, you've seen the former vice president be very careful in coming out today and saying, you know what, I expect to win this race, but I'm not going to come out and tell you that I have until I know that I have. Let's uh, bring in quickly Hallie Jackson joining us in the White House to talk more about Arizona. And as she, uh, you reported earlier, uh, the Trump folks were seeing something there that the Biden folks weren't seeing. And it, it may be starting to appear in the numbers. What's the, what's the read in the White House? Well, I mean, that's it, Lester, right? They're looking at these sort of batches of data coming in, just like everybody else, and looking to see, as Chuck is talking about, how tight that's going to get. And can they keep up? that sort of roughly 60% number. It's technically, I think, right around 57% they've calculated is what they're going to need from the remaining ballots coming in. So if they can consistently keep that, then I think they're feeling good about their chances, continue to feel good about their chances, specifically in Arizona. But to Chuck's point here, and I was listening with interest to the conversation with Rich Lowry just a couple of minutes ago, because I think Rich laid out exactly what the campaign is seeing as their path. They've got to hold Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, and then get Arizona, be able to sort of flip that, or Nevada, although it looks like at this point Arizona is the potentially likelier bet. We obviously haven't called either race. Um, one of the things, though, that Chuck has mentioned, as they are feeling, I think, more comfortable, feeling more optimistic about Arizona, there's the Pennsylvania question, and then there's the Georgia question. You know, this is a state that I think 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago, it wasn't so much of a question mark in the eyes of some of the people who are close to the president and in the campaign. That has certainly changed now as you're seeing some of the numbers come in. Uh, and so I think that is a state, as we look at Georgia here, that's, that's a big question mark, too, moving forward into the night. Yeah, we expect another uh, group of uh, Arizona numbers coming, I think, around 10.30 or so Eastern time. So we'll, uh, we'll continue to track the story. We'll take a quick break here. We'll continue our special Decision 2020 coverage in just a moment.
he was the guy who was saying, I'm going to be the one who's going to bring about this return to normalcy. And even here today, he was talking about uniting the country, stepping into the cauldron of chaos and well, trying to bridge the gaps. And so right now, the campaign feels as if they're knocking on that door to 270. Of course, we have to wait for all the vote to come in to see if that'll actually happen. All right, Jeff, thank you. We want to uh, go to Blaine Alexander now in Atlanta, where the vote is still tricking in, uh, trickling in a little bit uh, in, in Georgia, but it is awfully close. Uh, what have you learned, Blaine? You know, I've got to say, Lester, there is truly a sense of urgency right here in this room. This is Fulton County. This is where they are, quite frankly, scrambling to get these absentee ballots counted, sorted, and processed through. Just a few minutes ago, I spoke with the elections board chair for this county, and I asked him realistically how late are they going to stay. He says it could go until about 3 a.m., possibly even later, and I asked him, are you determined? Are you certain that you're going to get this done tonight? And he told me absolutely. So that just kind of underscores the mood here, certainly in Fulton County. But if you wonder why we talk about this as almost kind of a patchwork, almost solution here in the state of Georgia, that's because it is. It really goes county by county. So while Fulton County is saying they're going to be finished tonight, another neighboring county, Gwinnett County, according to their latest update, it does not look like they'll be done with their tally this evening or done with their entire process. So, and there are certainly more across the country, across the state rather. So let's look at the latest numbers from Georgia's Secretary of State. As he put it, there are about 107,000 ballots still outstanding, still looking to be processed. And as you guys said, that is certainly major because as we know, there are only right now about 39,000 votes that are separating President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden here in the state of Georgia. And of course, I don't need to underscore for you how major a Democratic win would be in the historically red state of Georgia. So when we talk about timing, it certainly is a bit of a moving target. The Secretary of State has said he's now eyeing sometime tomorrow morning. He's hopeful for tonight, but again, we still have a number of counties that are working to get their things done on their end. So we're again looking to sometime tomorrow morning possibly, before we get the tally here in Georgia. Guys. Okay, Blaine, thanks very much. I was just watching. The Georgia vote's coming in so slowly. It, it, it literally was a 1,000 votes, and then not, no update for like 20 minutes. I mean, that's all. But we did got like an additional 1,000 votes, and you're like, really? Is this how slow it's going to come in? Well, but remember, <laughs> we were thanking but though that, I know. That, that this No, 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 no it's not about that, but it's like, <laughs> this is how slow this vote is coming. That's all I, I want. Georgia... I, I'll make. I, I Georgia may not be called this week. Okay. I'm pretty confident. Coming that slow. I, it's also that close. It's also that close. It's yeah. just. It's on be close. absolute razor's edge. It is possible that this is one of those you have to wait till all the provisional ballots, all of this, and then that. I mean, it is. I, I think if all the provisional ballots are cured, you know, this is. And yet it may be one of the most fascinating, fascinating states of this process. Oh, especially I mean, since we got to go right back into the, no matter what, Georgia's not getting anything. We're all going to learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot more. Trust me, I'm no longer going to say DeKalb County, right? I know it's DeKalb now. <laughs> and we're all going to learn how to make sure we, we pronounce these counties even better in two you, months. You're talking about because two Senate, Senate races yep. are going to run up in Georgia. The, yeah. the, that election will be in early January. Yeah, and may ultimately decide whether the Republicans or the Democrats control the Senate, depending on how the numbers it's, shake it's, out. It's likely the majority is going to be on the line in those two races, which means potentially potentially over $100 million could be spent there in, in a couple of months. But, I mean, the reality right now, I think, as we're looking in Georgia from a, a source reporting perspective, you know, I still have people who are saying, okay, Arizona, we feel this way about this ballot dump. Pennsylvania, we feel good broadly. Georgia, everyone is saying, 
we have no idea because it's going to go back and forth on these little tiny groups uh, of ballots. Uh, and you're right, Lester. I mean, we, we I started hearing about Georgia probably a week before Election Day. People started saying, hey, there's something going on there. You should watch that. Uh, but before that, I don't think it was really on our maps in, in as serious hey, way as this. Uh, control room, put up the David Perdue Ossoff race again because Casey and I were, were discussing something uh, about a half hour ago. We talk about all these recounts. Well, uh, the, the recount provision is if you're at 50 if below 50 percent it goes to a recount right oh, so you do see recounts and this happens all the time in runoff states and primaries yeah. where you want to see a recount to see if you made it into the recount or if you were able to avoid you're at like 49.5 and you want to avoid a recount you want to see are there any additional you, mean you want to avoid a re so, runoff a runoff run you want to avoid the runoff so david so it'll be fascinating here no matter what happens when the, when all the votes are counted here we're going to be sitting is purdue at 50 point zero one well then Ossoff's going to probably ask for a recount to see if he can find votes to put Purdue down if if Purdue's at 49.8 then Purdue may say no 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 no, I want to recount to see if I can get to 50 and avoid the runoff my saying is the likelihood we're going to get a recount in Georgia is probably going to be Senate race focused first and it's going to be that Senate race to determine whether or not you know, I should amend also what I just said on, on terms of the Senate majority, because if you do see David Perdue hang on to that 50 percent plus where he that means, have to have the runoff. Right. Perdue would run outright and go back to the Senate. He's a Republican. Then unless something really crazy happens in Alaska or someplace that we, we don't uh, know about yet, it's likely the majority wouldn't be at stake because with Susan Collins hanging on in Maine, Democrats would really need to win both of these seats, if my math is correct, and forgive me, I've been trying not to do math for a lot of hours in a row now, uh, but they would need to win both of these at once to really uh, to take the majority, we think. So if this one is off the map uh, if off, or off the table, uh, then there's only one Senate race. That means that the majority is not on the line, but Democrats still would have a lot invested because they've got a candidate there. Chuck knows Raphael, uh, Reverend Warnock is his name. Um, he's the preacher at the, the church where Martin Luther King Jr. used to preach. He's potentially a first, you know, it's very significant test of, of all of the machinery Stacey Abrams has been building down in Georgia. And if he were to win that race, I think he'd be a serious national player. Let's uh, let's take a look now at Nevada, where they've essentially knocked off for the night. There's no numbers coming out of there right now. Uh, Jolene Kent in Las Vegas, who can shed a little more light on, on what their plan is to give us more vote. Yeah, Lester, you're absolutely right. No more results coming out of Nevada tonight. We'll get a new batch of numbers come tomorrow morning. But here's what we know so far. A lot of votes have already been counted, and Biden does maintain a very slight lead. So as for the votes that have been counted, which ones are they? We know it's all-in-person early votes, all-in-person Election Day votes, and then most of the mail ballots that were received before Election Day. So that means here in Clark County, we just talked to you earlier today, the registrar here, Joe Gloria, and he told me they're continuing to count. They'll resume tomorrow morning. They can process 70,000 a day. And what the focus is going to be on, according to the Nevada Secretary of State, is going to be the mail ballots received on or after Election Day and ballots cast by voters who do that same day voter registration. So you think about it. They say they can hear in Clark County process 70,000 ballots a day. So do the math. They're not telling us how many votes they have outstanding to count because it's very hard to know that number here in Nevada because voters who are registered automatically receive a ballot in the mail. So you may or may not be returning that ballot, right? So they're still trying to figure out how many that they need to count, but they're 
in process, doing it relatively smoothly. So you guys were talking about a recount earlier. And what's interesting here in Nevada is you'll remember that Hillary Clinton came away with Nevada just narrowly back in 2016. And so the Trump campaign certainly watching this very closely. Their lawyers are certainly watching it very closely. So anyone can call for a recount here in Nevada. You can be a candidate, a campaign, an individual. And if that is called for in the state of Nevada, the Secretary of State, the government has just 10 days to figure it out. But you know what, the, the timeline, the horizon here in Nevada could be a little wild because you have until December 10th to get your vote here as long as it's postmarked on or before election day, right? And then they have two days to cure those signatures. There's any sort of signature matching issues. And then they have until November 16th, that is the final deadline where they must canvas. And before then or by that day, put up the official results. So, uh, we should have a new batch of numbers come tomorrow, but uh, Reno, uh, Washoe County there, and then here in Clark County, we're expecting more numbers. We were hoping to get some earlier today that didn't materialize for Reno, so we're hoping to get them tomorrow, 9 or 10 a.m. The 9 a.m. timestamp is when, here in Clark County, they're going to resume the ballot counting. They're going to go back into those mail-in ballots as provisionals and get this process going again. Uh, for day two after the election. And that, that's nine right? Pacific time. That's right, local okay. time. Local Indeed. time. All right, Joe Lane Kent, thank you. <laughs> You're just calculating how well, long I'm am just, I going to get Yeah, yeah I'm just saying. Okay, <laughs> there so will be no sleep for any of us. Here, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to NBC News contributors Maria Teresa Kumar. She's the president and CEO of Mojo Latino and Hugh Hewitt, host of the Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network and a supporter of President Trump. Hugh, you got your ear to the ground or on your cell phone. Got a little good news in Arizona today for the president. Nevada's still hanging out there, a narrow margin. Um, but in Pennsylvania, the word on the street seems to be from both Democrats and Republicans that it's looking like a tougher climb for the president. What are you hearing? Well, let me start micro, uh, Savannah. There are 346 votes left in Maricopa County. I just got a text from the Republican war room there. We have great confidence in Governor Ducey and Attorney General Brnovich there. Uh, Adam Laxalt, the former Attorney General of Nevada, is leading the recount there. But Arizona is actually the closest state to tipping into the Trump column. Uh, the least close state to tipping into the Trump column is Nevada. Pennsylvania, unlike what Senator McCaskill said yesterday, my Pennsylvania sources are very confident, but they realize that an Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, who's a Democrat, they've got a very, very good team of Democrats on that side. The context, though, which I think I want to make sure everyone hears, this isn't about Donald Trump. The Republican Party has to fight. They have to fight in Arizona. They have to fight in Nevada. They have to fight in Georgia, where they have to charge up for, as you've noted, two runoff races, which they're very confident about, which would lead to Senate 52-48. So they have to show their supporters, not just their contributors, but their voters, that they are not a party that gets walked over they have to be at least as aggressive as Joe Biden would be where he reversed with the president right now. They have to be at least as aggressive as Al Gore was. And in fact, they've learned from the 2000 experience. Al Gore tried to cherry pick uh, recounting and he lost. Uh, he should have recounted the entire state. Instead, I think it was six counties he tried to recount. So they are going to fight on the beaches. They are going to fight on the mountains. They're going to fight everywhere. And it's not because of Donald Trump. It's because they feel that Leading up to the election, uh, every single poll was biased against them. I'm so glad NBC did not make any 
improvident calls last night because they're mad at other networks that called too early or called too late. Uh, they're just generally in a combative mood, and it's not the president. You go down to the precinct holders. We, we had a great night in the House. We had a very good night in the Senate. Had a good night for the picking up one governor and the state legislators, and they just want to be combative. And begins in Maricopa County. Maria, give us your give us your survey of the landscape right now. As we, we sit here and we're watching Arizona, we won't get more numbers in Nevada till tomorrow. You've got uh, Georgia by a thread. Uh, where are we? Well, you know, it's interesting because I was talking to the campaign, and of course, everyone is everyone's saying that they're winning. But let's be very clear: in Arizona. 25% of the early vote was the youth vote. That's the what's getting counted right now. In the And there's 25% Latino youth vote. What is happening in Arizona is very similar to the demographic shifts that we are also seeing in Georgia. In Georgia, you saw 75% of the people that were voting for, uh, that were Latino, that were, were voting for Joe Biden. But then you also have not just the Latino demographic aging in, you have young professionals coming in with new industry. The tech industry in Arizona is parallel to the Hollywood tech industry that you're seeing in Georgia. So it's going to be super close. But the story is that it is it is the young Latino vote heading the heading that charge, along with a lot of new white voters that are coming in that just simply weren't there in 2016. Now in Nevada, Nevada is going to be something that is very close. But again, it's the young Latino vote that is leading the charge. That is not the case for all Latino voters. But in those particular states, in Georgia, in Arizona, in Nevada, it is the young Latino voter that has been aging in. At Voto Latino, we have registered 67,000 in Arizona, 35,000 respectively in Nevada and in Georgia, and they have been responding. So I think it's still up for grabs, but I do think that just based on the demographic aging and what we know what happened in Colorado, what we know what happened in uh, in Virginia a couple cycles back, that is, the, that is the road that we see for Nevada, Arizona, and possibly Georgia. I, I got to ask you, Maria, when this is all said and done, though, uh, are you, you going to be looking hard at you know, the president did well with Latinos, relatively speaking, improved on his numbers from 2016, and, and also with the black community as well. So it was an uneven performance um, for Joe Biden in terms of the Latino vote across the country. I think that what we saw specifically in the Latino vote in Florida was that unlike the states that I just mentioned, they did not have show me your paper laws. They did not have anti-immigrant laws. So the Latino person there was able to see and talk very much about why they fled their native lands, whether it was communism in Cuba, Venezuela, which was socialism, or even in Colombia, failed democracy. So that socialism message really stuck because they're not being pigeonholed, sadly, as show me your papers. Whereas in Virginia, excuse me, uh, yeah, well, Virginia was one of them, one of the reasons why it switched. But in Georgia, in Arizona, in Nevada, you see these show me your paper laws. In Texas, I mean, we're not talking about it tonight, but in Texas, you saw a 600% increase in the Latino youth vote because of the strenuous circumstances. And so, yes, the Latino vote is absolutely not monolithic, but when you start peeling apart, especially intergenerationally, where the opportunity is for the Democrats, it's the young voter. They're almost half of the eligible voters, and it's young Latinas, excuse me, and it's female. It's the men that they are going to have to figure out, how do you talk to the men in the Latino community? They don't necessarily outperform their their white gendered on the other side. I'm terribly put, guys. But you know <laughs> We're all cruising on 20 minutes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I think that the, 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 camp, the Democrats are going to have to have a real conversation 
emails in a way that is authentic, that is meeting them where they are, and that can back a lot of the disinformation that we know actually is out there uh, online. All right, Maria Teresa Kumar and Hugh Hewitt, thank you for coming on. Another quick break here. We'll be back with more as Decision 2020 continues on NBC. holiday give the gift of weather tech from our laser measured floor liners a cargo liner christmas tree mat and cup phone to secure your phone in virtually any vehicle this season order the perfect gift at weathertech.com and don't forget weathertech gift cards tomorrow on today the latest election updates live from the key battleground states we are not concerned about being first we are concerned about being right tracking the vote count and what it all means we're going to take you through everything you need to know tomorrow on today Welcome back to NBC News Election Headquarters. We'll continue to watch the numbers trickle in from these battleground states as we continue to try to figure out who will be the president for the next four years. Chuck Todd is back at the map. You want to give us a quick uh, look at where Pennsylvania is? Well, uh, yeah, you know, we got we, we saw uh, Donald Trump's margin drop by 5,000 uh, with a just a small, I mean, literally, you know, I, 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 just a tiny bit uh, of vote came in. Uh, a little bit here, a decent amount, but it did allow Biden to cut that lead. Um, let me do my favorite little check-in here, uh, as we do. And guess what? Still no additional vote in Philadelphia. I continue to remind you, um, if this is what's really got to scare the Trump campaign, we don't have any of that Philly vote yet, and the margin could get where Philly will deliver it by itself, uh, the way things are going. But one of the things, you know, we have not been able to focus a lot on the House because of what's happened right now but this was a really good night uh, a surprisingly good night for republicans and one of the points we want to make is how uh i think important how big of an how big of a night it was for donald trump even in losing because donald trump being on the ballot 
basically uh, cost a whole bunch of freshman Democrats who won in 18 when Donald Trump was on his ballot. They picked up some Trump, some Trump districts, uh, and they lost them this time. There's South Carolina once. There's, uh, this one really surprised This one surprised a whole bunch of people. It was really close. Cunningham was seen in, in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina was seen as sort of just like we were seeing in the Atlanta suburbs. Charleston was sort of the beginning of South Carolina becoming maybe a, 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 a reddish tint towards purple. A lot of well, country club Republicans, a lot of transplants that, in New York. Exactly. Charleston has is so, and yet it didn't hold. That doesn't mean this isn't going to remain a swing area. And I think this is more, I think, the power of Donald Trump. Because when you see the pattern here, let me stay in, in the southern region here. This is Oklahoma City. This was a surprise in 2018 when Kendra Horn, who ran a terrific campaign in 2018, she did. Um, very, uh, very much a centrist Democrat, conservative Democrat, sort of in the older tradition of Oklahoma Democrats who succeeded. Um, but she was thought of as somebody that was going to have a tough time surviving. And it's just the power of Trump on the ballot. Um, uh, Kendra Horn moves. Let me take it into Mexico, too. New Mexico, too, this is the, oh, the most conservative area, the biggest district, which means it's the most rural, uh, if you will. And, and this was, you know, this was this one. a real disappointment for Democrats. They thought they were, because they got, they got, a, they thought the weaker Republican nominee uh, during yeah. the primary, and yet uh, it wasn't enough. Again, a district that Trump carried. Um, one of our, the, so far, the only non-freshmen to lose, and we know there are others that could end up losing. Colin Peterson has been in Congress since 1990 chairman of the Agriculture Committee, and frankly, he's been living on borrowed political time. You know, he was basically, he's the one of two Democrats, in fact, ended up being the only Democrat, uh, because the other guy changed parties, who voted against impeachment. Uh, as a way, it didn't work. He got throttled here, as you can see, because again, strong Trump district, and then finally, uh, Iowa won. This is uh, this, this one here, Iowa won, Abby Pickenauer. This is one where to me, if she survived, Biden was going to carry Iowa. The only way she was going to survive, she needed Biden to carry Iowa because this is how Democrats win Iowa, by doing well in the first and the second districts. Obviously, that didn't happen. Very talented candidate on the Republican side, though, there, though very well known. But, you know, Chuck, big picture, I don't, I don't know if we're able to put up the, the map of all of the, sure. the House races just to kind of take a look That's at fun. it because I think it, I think it shows you, and, and, and this is part of what, I've been relying on in terms of how we talk about the presidential race and and how divided the country is because we, we still don't know it's, it's possible Biden could win with 207 electoral college votes possibly could lose entirely it's possible he could win with a whole bunch but this really shows you kind of how the cultural divide is playing out in this country and the fact that you know Democrats went into this election night thinking that they were going to win at a minimum five to seven additional House seats. So they thought there was going to be more blue on this map than I'll what I'll tell you where they saw. thought they were going to get some blue. It was right in the state of Texas. Yeah, in Texas. A whole bunch of uh, some blue they thought they would add over here, some blue, and then, of course, this district, which we haven't called yet, but, but yeah. this is at the border, the district that the Democrats always think they should have. They struggle with it at times. Yeah. Um, there were districts in Michigan, too, they thought they would hold on to. Uh, Michigan as well. I don't mean Michigan's second district. And then North Carolina, there's some seats that are disappointed. This this just goes to show they, they were incredibly, frankly, overconfident about it. And they, they were saying we could win as many as, as 12 to 14 seats on a good night. It just showed you how they were thinking about Donald Trump and it, what they sort of viewed as the absurdity of the idea 
that he would win re-election or that they In fairness, would Republicans win. thought they were going to lose big as well. That's true. That's absolutely so it's true. It's kind of interesting that... Um, the weekend before, the weekend before, and a Republican yeah. single big super PAC say, oh, I just want to be on, uh, you know, uh, above 190 now. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I'm not trying to just criticize Democrats and, and their numbers here, but I, I, but I do think that it, it shows you that the depth to which Donald Trump uh, has really... Whether it's that he stoked the culture wars or that people feel like they're participants in that, you know, you look at those house numbers and that that can really help you understand all of this. We're gonna fit in a break here and we'll be back with more Decision 2020 coverage right after this. Decision 2020, we continue to watch those uh, six states right now, outstanding, that they could determine who the next president will be. That's what Arizona is showing right now. It is too early to call. We've been looking at a Biden lead there, but we've got some new numbers uh, recently, and, and Donald Trump uh, adding uh, to his total. So we'll continue to watch more numbers expected to come in there a bit later on this evening. Uh, also, right now, Pennsylvania, that's the other big prize everyone is uh, watching. Too early to call in Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump out, out in front there, but Biden has been slowly but steadily closing that lead. Yeah, and we're waiting for more votes to come in and be counted there. Uh, in Georgia, it is a nail-biter. Too close to call. We are being told by our correspondent on the ground they're going to be counting late into the night there. This one is a squeaker. North Carolina. Press pause on this one. It's too close to call, and we don't anticipate any more counting uh, to be released until it, as far out as next week. Uh, which still feels like a weird thing to say. No, not really, guys. 
We're going to wait till November 12th, well, we think. Well, Nevada, they'll <laughs> yeah. be back at it tomorrow. Yes. Uh, so let's look at Nevada. That is uh, too close to call, but they have knocked off for the evening, as we've mentioned, but they uh, plan to get back at it 9 o'clock Pacific time tomorrow. Uh, Alaska, it is too early to call there, but you can see Donald Trump uh, with a significant lead right now as we look at 56% of the expected vote in. All right, so there's the White House, and we can fire up the 270 map, the road to 270. It's filled out quite a bit, but the, the suspense still with us. Chuck, you're over at your what-if map, so what are the different scenarios now? Well, number one, I just want to remind people, if we just give, we know who's leading in every state, so let's just do that. All right, Alaska, Trump leads. Nevada, Arizona, Biden leads right now. Pennsylvania, Trump leads. North Carolina, Trump leads. Georgia, Trump leads. So if we just did that, there would be your final, your, your final result, 270, 268. The 2000 election was 271, 267. So uh, I don't, we have never had it uh, that close. That's just assuming that uh, at this point. And it is a reminder of the different paths. I mean, this is a the fastest path, well, the fastest path now uh, for Joe Biden to get to 270. Actually, it's just simply Pennsylvania at this point, if you, if you, if you check fastest, it out carefully. Fastest, but not the, not but the, not, not but, the those, but it's the one with the most pain, <laughs> exactly. Where Nevada and Arizona, where you don't need it, a lot less pain on that front. So look, it's, in that sense, I think, let's see how the night goes with Arizona, and I think it then dictates. I mean, if Arizona is suddenly a jump ball, um, then the Biden campaign is going to be, I think, basically t becomes a three-state strategy because they're going to want to make sure that one of Arizona, Pennsylvania, or Georgia comes through because they only need, they're in this position, they only need one of those to come through, uh, assuming they keep it, it always strikes when you think about these campaigns that have invested so much time and focus and they control their own destinies and you get to this point now, you're a day after the election and there's not a thing you can do. We, we at least have this, we, we can do this and play with the boards and have this academic and journalism exercise, but they can't do anything. to can buy another in. ad. Yeah. Let's put an ad. Target that. Oh. No, no. The votes have all been cast. That's done. Now it's just the counting. Uh, and in some places, that's taken longer than anyone would like. Kelly O'Donnell's with us. She's at the White House. She mentioned we are waiting more votes from Arizona tonight. We expect a little bit more, so we'll keep our eye on that. Kelly, what are you hearing from Trump world tonight? Well, one of the things that really stands out, Savannah, is the unusual silence from a president who is known for being blunt, brash, always using his own megaphone of social media. We're not seeing that from the president, and not as much from his allies either. Now, I've been talking with sources in Arizona, and they, of course, are looking at your home state with great interest. And part of what we've also been looking at is how do these states, especially with a Republican governor and Doug Ducey in the case of Arizona, how can that partnership and relationship uh, help the Trump campaign understand their numbers? Uh, before we all got to nights like this and the country's learning about the counties and so forth, the campaigns have their own personal histories with knowing where do their voters reside, who do they work and spend the most money to draw out, and then you layer in a Republican governor like Doug Ducey who has his own electoral history in his state. And then you bring in the Cindy McCain factor. She, of course, came out in support of Joe Biden, but retaining her Republican credentials, not getting involved in other races, speaking to Republicans in places like Scottsdale, Maricopa County, truly red places where she has a long personal history with her late husband, of course, Senator John McCain. And if this ultimately becomes a Biden story in Arizona, 
that relationship with Susie B. Cain may tell part of the story, especially with suburban women. But the Trump campaign is still arguing that their math is what they know best and their data is what they know best. And that as some of these results come in, Maricopa County, they're outperforming, they say, then you'll have a county like Pima County in Arizona, which could give Biden some more help. Close, close, close. Arizona is one of those states where the president spent a lot of time in 2016, not as much time in 2020. And you have to think that in the silence of these hours of waiting, if there isn't some thinking about places where they might have used the candidates' time, resources, and so forth, Arizona's history and the president's uh, own personal combative history uh, with the McCain legacy in Arizona may be part of the story as well. So that's something they're watching. And again, looking uh, from Trump world perspective at Pennsylvania, they still see a path there. And of course, they're counting on Georgia and North Carolina going their way. Uh, the pathways are fewer than for Joe Biden. And what is again striking is they are not filling the void uh, in talking about where they see things going. Now, maybe we can just chalk it up to everybody's tired and the wait is what it is. Uh, but it is notable that from a Trump White House, we don't have a new tweet to tell you about or a new comment from the president. Savannah? That All right. in itself is a headline. Uh, let's bring in Jeff Bennett covering the Biden campaign in Wilmington, Delaware. They put their guy out earlier today who made a very strong statement that he believes that uh, he will win all this. Uh, what are you hearing right now? That's right. And look, I'll, I'll take the baton from my good friend and co colleague uh, Kelly Owen talking about Pennsylvania, because as we wait for the numbers to come in, all we can really do is, is read the tea leaves right now in that state. And, and uh, one Biden campaign staffer is, is taking heart in what's happening in Pennsylvania's 17th district, particularly with uh, Congressman Connor Lamb. He's a 36-year-old Marine Corps veteran who was sort of swept into office with all of the progressive energy in the 2018 midterms. Um, sort of as a rebuke to President Trump's election in 2016. And, and right now, uh, he appears to be in the lead. And so they are sort of uh, extrapolating from that what, what Pennsylvania could portend uh, for Joe Biden. And what's so interesting about that is that Connor Lamb campaigned uh, with Joe Biden back in Iowa and talked a lot about the fact that, as he saw it, uh, Joe Biden could help down-ballot candidates uh, like himself. So right now, the campaign is still expressing confidence and cautious optimism about how their candidate is faring. And, and one of the ways we know that is because today, the campaign launched a transition website. It established its transition team some months ago, but today they launched a splash page uh, for what they hope will be to come if Joe Biden, of course, is victorious. I wonder if this is taking a little bit of a page out of book, not, not a, a perfect comparison, but you go back to the 2000 recount and remember, the Bush folks immediately took the stature and, and, and owned the idea that this was the, this was the president-elect. They started the transition process. Lester, it is all about, you know, who, that, that is, they're sort of recount politics, right? That sort of thing. I think it's the, the person that establishes them said, well, we're ahead. And right now, Joe Biden, macro is ahead, right? Well, he's and the transition website. That's right. As he, well. He, he's ahead, and so... That does put added pressure on on those trying to change it on Donald Trump. So it, it makes it does well, just. I'm like Bush before the president's actually in the White House, so it's a little it's that a does, little different. But, but, it's a little, but if he gets the call, let's let's say you know, uh, you know Biden gets the, gets the call here soon. Given what's going on with on the legal challenges, uh, you would think that the, the Biden folks are going to quickly take that, not only accept but take that sense of ownership and 
and be seen in that role. That's an interesting question. We should ask, uh, let's ask an expert. Robert Gibbs is with us. He's former press secretary to President Obama and was a senior advisor on his campaigns. And uh, Robert, wh what's your view? If you were advising the Biden campaign tonight, uh, what posture would you recommend they take? Well, look, I thought they did a great job today getting out there and establishing exactly what you all have talked about, which is establishing themselves as owning this process. And quite frankly, much like uh, last night, I assumed once Biden went out, we'd see and hear from Donald Trump, not just on a tweet, but in person. And I think what Kelly is saying, not coming out, I think, does give you a little bit of a tell of where the Trump campaign and the president believe this race seems to be headed. So, so what happens now in the coming days? Uh, if, this, if this thing drags out, what's the effect on the, the, whoever the president-elect is going to be and, and the electorate in general? If, if, we're, if we're sitting here, what's today? Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're all like that, Lester. Me too. Yeah, Lester. But, if, but if, we're, if we're working our days off this weekend, what's, what's, the, what's the effect? Well, look, I, I think that they continue to be out there. I think the Biden campaign wants to continue to be out there messaging to their supporters. I think that moving forward in that transition, command of government, looking like you're a leader, speaking like you're a president, those are the things that you want to command. Again, surprised a bit today that Trump was off the stage a bit and let Joe Biden do that. I mean, Trump is a master showman. He is the chief marketing officer. And to to have left that stage open today, again, I think probably surprised a lot of people. Are you, are you surprised they have, uh, Biden has not been, or even the president, that's been seen out being presidential, uh, aside from just speeches, but just uh, making appearances being seen? Well, I think you could certainly see something like that. You could also see, I, I could see, and I probably would plan if I was them, a briefing of sorts, get an economic briefing, right? Get an intelligence briefing, meet with advisors uh, on the coronavirus as we've seen uh, the number of cases skyrocket. I think anytime you look like you're in command and look like you're the president-elect in, in the case of Biden, uh, I think that is always going to be a plus in the minds uh, of people that are watching this process closely. Hey, you want to weigh in on uh, Arizona? With, uh, it's 10-11 here in the east. We may get some more numbers here in the next uh, next few minutes, but we did see uh, Donald Trump pick up, uh, was it 13,000? He's busy. I think it was 13,000 additional. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm doing some Georgia calculations. You're doing Georgia? Oh, yeah, but we'll, we'll go to Arizona. <laughs> sorry. I, I have some Georgia math here. Robert, Chuck's being Chuck. He's doing sorry. math over here at <laughs> yeah. the back of the envelope, literally. Yeah, I'm literally in back of the envelope <laughs> yes. right now, yes. Anyway, so, no, with Arizona. You know that phone doubles as a calculator. We, we know what the math he's doing. But look at a place, well, I, I think in a place like Arizona, look, I, I think the Biden campaign is still confident. I think not only do you have uh, some of that vote still out in Maricopa, but you've got uh, Pima County, which is even bluer than Maricopa County. So I think watching that on the end, and I think where Chuck is about to go is we've seen this vote, you know, kind of dribble in over the course of the night. When, you know, when we started this hour, it was 39,000, almost 40,000 in Georgia. Now we're down to 33,000. I, I think this thing is getting closer and closer. I think most of the campaigns think Georgia is a real jump ball. And that, again, gives you a whole other scenario for the Biden campaign to get to 207. And that's your introduction to there it is. Thank you, Robert. Right. I appreciate that, Gibbs, because we are sitting, there's your difference, 33,300. And what math were you doing? Well, the Secretary of State told us that there's 98,000 
ballots that are remaining. We do know that most of the, we, we, we're pretty confident most of these ballots are essentially in and around Atlanta. Cobb County here, this is an 83-15 county, right? Uh, for Biden, Fulton County was a 72-26. I, I just point those numbers out for a reason here. 98,000 votes is what's left to be counted. If these are all where we think they are, and in these Atlanta counties, and Joe Biden wins just 70% of that vote, he will net 38,000 votes from what's remaining. And, you know, 38 minus 30, you, you can see what would happen there. It would flip the lead. My point is, I, we'll see if it's that. We'll see if it's all coming from there. It's possible there's a red county here or there. I was going to say, how do we know where it's outstanding? We, we, don't, we know most of them that are outstanding are here. I mean... Uh, you know, we, we've got our little, we've got our little thing here. We know there's approximately 9,000 there. Let's go to Fulton County, uh, approximately 31,000 there. You know, you could start to put it up and you see that it, it, let's see in Gwinnett County, there's 14. It won't be quite. See, that could be a, a less of a split, but the point is, uh, I just went to Give Fulton. Cobb County yeah, here's there. Cobb. There's another 15 there. I'm obsessed there. with Cobb County. Well, I, I, I'm with you because Cobb is I a like great Cobb choice. I like Cobb salad, but that's yeah, what I like Cobb salad, too. Yeah, well, uh, so, yeah, this is the home of Newt Gingrich. Right. So, so this is the, the quintessential kind of place where when Republicans talk about being worried about the suburbs, they're worried about places like Cobb County. It's an upscale suburb uh, of Georgia, historically a Republican stronghold, as, as Chuck has pointed out. And it has been moving, and you saw it there in 2016 move uh, just a little bit. Uh, there's also a lot of interesting uh, stuff going on at the congressional level here. Uh, but, but this is a bellwether for Republicans across the map and also representative of this cultural split that we have been talking about. This is an area uh, where you see a little bit more of that. You know, they're college-educated, many uh, white voters here. And this is the kind of place that could decide, especially if these Senate races go to a runoff, this is the kind of place we're going to be looking at to see if uh, Democrats actually have a chance to hold on in, in a more traditional type of Newt Gingrich's non-presidential. Newt Gingrich's home district. This is the birthplace of the Republican the Revolution place, in the 90s. Yes, this is where it was. It is now. And what's interesting, the question, uh, the question I have is, is Georgia now permanently, is Georgia going to join Florida as just one of these places now? This is your Denver and your Phoenix. Correct. Example. Is yeah. it going to be Florida where Georgia will stay in the battleground? Or is it going to be Virginia and Colorado when the Northern Virginia suburbs and the Denver suburbs started to move, and it was just sort of like, yeah, we're here purple, and then it was just like they walked right, literally, from red to blue. You just saw that in Cobb. I mean, this is, in a decade, you go, I mean, this is just remarkable. In a decade, you go from 10 points, shoot, in eight years, you go from essentially a plus 10 Republican district, a reliable, lean Republican. You're not going to sit here and say this is rock solid, but a reliable, lean Republican, to literally you flipped at 20 points. So the question I have is, is Georgia staying purple, or is it basically um, purple as it moves to blue, and in two cycles, it becomes more reliably blue, a la Virginia, which it'll take a special type of Republican to win statewide in Virginia. You know what's interesting when you're thinking about that? I was thinking about you're saying there's a, there are states that have marched from red to purple mm -hmm. to blue. There's also states that have marched from battleground states to reliably red, I think about Missouri. Yep. I wonder if Ohio's headed in that direction. Feels that way. It's now two cycles in a row at eight points. I'm not ready to do it for Iowa. Iowa narrowed a bit down to six. I, uh, Iowa is sort of, you know, it, it has a it has a little Minnesota in it, and at the same time, it has a little bit of Ohio in it. So, it it's going to stay in the swing. But you're right. We've seen, and this is something I, I always like to remember. 
every state finds itself in and out of the battleground every generation. You know, you do, it's a, a generational cycle in and out. A state that may come into the battleground in, say, a decade might be a place like Kansas. Um, and so this stuff is, you know, I think we're in the middle of a realignment right now. And as the suburbs continue to realign, as we continue to diversify as a country, this map could shake up even well, that's the big picture stuff, but we're counting to 70 tonight. we got a presidential race. we still got to oh, decide. Yeah. We are waiting. Arizona's filing some votes tonight. Georgia's still doing it. Pennsylvania's still doing it. It's, it's on. Still on. Still and on. we're still on. And we'll be back right after this.
we shouldn't just assume that it comes in that way. We already saw in Maricopa um, it's been coming in in Arizona. Uh, and look, uh, we don't know how much is going to come out. Uh, I think we said they're still going to get some. I want to reach 30,000 uh, 30, votes there. Look, this is 50-46. We can't assume all 30,000 are going to break Biden's way. This is something that could easily break a few points. Uh, the president's And Nevada way. didn't tell us what was day of vote and what was early. No, vote, it's so been really no frustrating. There. This is one of those things where we needed Ralston to like, you know, back of the envelope <laughs> for us. Uh, uh, and then, of course, there's the, there's the rest of the state. There's not a ton of population here, but uh, you'll start to see. Let me show you some of these Where's margins. Elko? Oh, where did we go here? Let me show you some of these margins. Elko, Nevada is one of my I'm, favorite uh, places on go. the presidential map. I'm going to sit here and, and <laughs> show you some of these other red counties so you can see just how big these margins are for the president. There's not a lot of votes, but they're giant margins for him. So any of this stuff that trickles in here, I mean, these are 60, 74. Um, you can see, I mean, this there is, it is. Yeah, Elko County. There, this is what you want. Every Republican flies to Elko County. There's one tiny little airport in Elko, <laughs> and they do it for this reason because the whole middle of the state's red. Uh, and it's just, you know, so any, obviously any vote that comes from Clark or Washoe, the Biden people feel good. But, you know, there's going to be extraneous ballot that comes from these areas as well. Well, yeah, and it's a tight, it's 7,000 approximately that is the, yeah. the, the margin Nevada's right now. a smaller state, 7,000, that would be the equivalent of being sort of down, um, uh, being down, say, 20,000 in Wisconsin. Oh, that's worth Hey, Chuck, can we talk briefly? Um, it looks like Mark Kelly, I realize, I don't think we've called Arizona's Senate race yet, uh, but Mark Kelly is, is declaring victory there as the, as, the, as the votes roll in. And, you know, I think they're pretty confident still that he's going to outperform Joe Biden in Arizona. I'm wondering, I mean, do you read anything into them deciding that, hey, they're margin, ready? When they just did that, when they did that well, dump. That, it's so a big they did had a big, um, it's narrowed a little bit. Let a me big batch of Pima County, which is Tucson, which his wife, Gabby Gifford, yes, you know, um, used to represent that area, yeah. of course. And, and so I wonder if he got a big bump out of Pima County. So let me just show you something. You'll, you'll see it fast here. It says Biden, 50, 47, Biden, votes total 1.44. Let me bring you the Kelly and Sally races. You can see Kelly's uh, going to be the leading vote getter in the, in the state of Arizona yep. over Biden. That, that they is, knew that going in, too, uh, I think. And so, you know, he's running about uh, almost two points better uh, in there. And this is, look, this has been the case where uh, it's been interesting how many of the Senate candidates uh, have basically run with the president, right? You guys, you know, he's at 47.9, and Sally runs just behind him at 47.7. The, the thing that clearly is benefiting Kelly, those libertarians um, yeah. that pick third party in the presidential, you know, if they couldn't pick between Trump and, and Biden, they seem to pick the astronaut. He's really tried to pick up the McCain mantle, I think, um, and has, uh, you know, uh, as they've tried to figure out how to... Kirsten Sinema wants that mantle, too. You know? She does, <laughs> yes. But Mark yeah. Kelly, I think, has, has really tried. That's the other Democratic right. senator yeah. in, um, right. in Arizona. Well, Sam's well, just sitting here translating. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Chuck and I can kind of go off the deep end on a lot of these, let's get, lot of these folks. Let's get back to Nevada, where our friend uh, Jacob Soboroff is in uh, Las Vegas right now. Uh, Jacob, what do you know? Lester, I don't want to uh, be the bearer of any bad news. No one's called this bad news, but I don't think we're going to be uh, getting results out of here, at least, from Clark County, Nevada. Definitely not tonight, but perhaps not for uh, another couple days. I know that the margin is only between seven and 8,000 votes, as you and Chuck and Casey and Selena 
uh, we're all just talking about, but they are being very slow and very deliberate about the counting of the ballots here uh, in Las Vegas and in Clark County. Those six electoral votes uh, that we're looking at on that map are going to come out uh, in all likelihood uh, of this facility, the Clark County Election Center. Uh, but I just took a walking tour of this facility uh, not a couple of minutes ago, uh, and the workers have gone home. Uh, the ballot tabulation machines are draped in what uh, I think can fairly be described as coverings that look like uh, what you would throw over the barbecue uh, in the backyard. There is not a lot of activity here tonight, uh, and they will be back tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock uh, with an update. But there are many, many votes to count in this county, and they only count in this facility approximately 70,000 votes a day. It is in stark contrast to what's happening in Washoe County, uh, where Reno, Nevada is. They are counting overnight tonight with a live stream of that count available to watch on the Internet. That is not the scene uh, here whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, the 16th of this month is the date that the votes coming out of this state must be certified. If you work backwards from that, the 12th is the date that the signatures on the ballots have to be challenged by. And the 10th is the last day that mail-in ballots uh, that are postmarked uh, appropriately by Election Day yesterday uh, are able to come in and actually be counted here. So we may be talking about uh, Nevada for a little time uh, yet to come. Is it clear uh, why it's being delayed, why they're not counting right now in, in Vegas? Uh, Lester, I think that we are 50 ununited states when it comes to voting, and on a more granular level, uh, each county in each state uh, has their own ways and days, frankly, uh, of counting these votes, and that's just the way that they do it here. They've expanded their staff. There are 30 people that normally work for the elections department here. That has uh, gone up to about uh, several hundred uh, other county employees that have been brought in for this purpose. Uh, the uh, registrar here is being, again, very deliberate. Uh, they are very focused on getting the job done, uh, but they are not going to do it at the expense of rushing, and I think what they believe uh, would be making a mistake. They have so much infrastructure in this warehouse behind me, uh, and they are doing it with the capacity that they have, and there's been no talk of expanding that capacity quite yet. Well, we all want to see it done right, Jacob Soberoff, uh, in, in Las Vegas. And so how important is Nevada in the scheme of things if you're, if you're Team Biden right they, now? You, they, everyone matters because he, he needs that sick. And look, Pennsylvania, if you want to avoid the calamity, uh, the legal calamities that might face, he might be facing in Pennsylvania, Nevada plus, plus Arizona, you get 270 right on the nose. By the way, Savannah, you were talking about we need to be thanking our uh, uh, these ballot counters. Well, listen to this. Uh, Kelly O'Donnell uh, uh, and, her, and, and her team down there uh, note that uh, the uh, Allegheny County, right, Pittsburgh, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers are buying dinner for all the uh, workers tonight as they count ballots. So kudos, Pittsburgh Cheers Steelers. Cheers to the home team. Kudos I like Rooney that. Family. I like that. The Rooney family always clap. Let's say right. NFL teams across the country. Over to you. There's right. a lot there, of yeah. Once again, the Rooney state. set the table. Set, right. the, set the tone. We'll take a break. Be back in a moment with more special coverage. Decision 2020 in just a moment. Absolutely. It intelligently senses your movements automatically. Uh, Pennsylvania uh, radar.
markets continues to, to narrow. Too early to call. Donald Trump with a lead, but it is shrinking. Let's look at Georgia. We're told by the Secretary of State's office that there are about 100,000 votes left to count. Chuck has gotten his abacus out and suggests that this is very much still a jump ball. Could go either way. Georgia's interesting. North Carolina is interesting, but it's going to be a cliffhanger and a long one because we're going to have to wait until next week before all the, the, the ballots are tabulated there. And if you were with us a moment ago, you learned uh, that Nevada also, uh, it could be a few days before we get some more solid numbers out of there. Too close to call in Nevada. And let's show you where we stand on this road to 270. Uh, Biden sitting now at 253 and potentially more paths to 270, 214 right now for Donald Trump. So we saw Chuck, as you go over yep. your board, Nevada's... It's a uh, game over for tonight for ballot counting. Yes, Arizona it. still has some homework due. They said they would send in a few hundred thousand more votes right, tonight. Right. Um, and Pennsylvania and Georgia continue. Right. And I was just going to say, I was exactly what I was going to do, which is, okay, we know we're not going to get much update in Nevada. Uh, when, you know, if we get, we're not going to be here for the next round of votes that comes in in Arizona. The next team will be here for the, for the Arizona numbers that come in around midnight tonight. That leaves us Georgia, and we did get some word that we know that the Fulton County, they they, they have said they believe they have 24,000. I'm curious to see how that matches. See, this is when it's estimated. So the Fulton County administrator said they believe they have about 24,000. We estimated, we thought there's a remaining. So it's very possible, you know, we overestimated by 7,000. So it may be it's, it's Of 20, how much vote there would be, would be in total. Exactly. This was always an estimate. This was always, it's a really pretty good one. But there's going to be a margin of error. Um, so I, I wanted to sit here and, and, yeah. and double. So we expect these Fulton County numbers, 24,000, according to him, not 31, uh, to come in by 3 a.m., I think they said. So um, we, I think this is one of those when you get up in the morning, let's check out what the Georgia uh, what, what the Georgia spread is going to be. But it does sound like we're going to get some of the vote in. Um, tonight and tomorrow morning, and it sounds like we'll get the rest of it, I think, um, by lunchtime tomorrow. You noted North Carolina. It's just put it off the board. It's November 12th. Uh, and, then, and then Pennsylvania, um, I noticed, I think this ticked down a tiny bit again, but this is a trickle. Uh, it goes to the bullishness all comes from what the expectation is out of Philadelphia. Has that moved at all Has tonight since we've been at on all? it? Has it moved since last are, night? It's, it's all about the Do we need to get the Eagles to no. send these poll workers? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't know, Eagles some aren't wine a and beer. You, you know. Hey, I'm an Eagles fan. I, I, don't, I don't need to hear it. Thank you. It's a, it's, a rough, it's a rough season for the <laughs> NFC elite uh, these days. But this is the issue. Just none of the early vote has shown up. Uh, it's just not much of it. And so that's what it is. And so whether it's pro – I'll be curious. Is it processing the envelope? Uh, is it whatever it is, we have not budged at all. But again, let me remind you the importance of Philadelphia, the margin that matters here. Um, Andrew Mitchell's reporting was saying she's got some Democrats who think they're going to get a margin that was like Obama's 2012 margin, um, which was because they kept Romney under 100,000 votes. This was a nearly half a million uh, vote margin just in Philadelphia. They think they're going to hit that Obama spread. So that, I mean, that, that would make up, again, a huge get, difference. it's a huge, we're, we're up to, uh, we're, we're, uh, sorry, it's getting late. Uh, or I'm, my brain is getting late. Um, when we're sitting here, and, and just a reminder, 184, 
he's going to add another. They're going to. He's going to net 120,000 likely, perhaps, and cutting into that. So then, all of a sudden, Biden just needs 60,000 more extra votes out of the rest of the you state. We know. Look at Delaware and, County. What's, what, show us Pittsburgh. Oh, okay, Pittsburgh. Allegheny the, County. The, the blue spot. You know, so, there, there was a time that there was a lot more blue around yeah, Pittsburgh. All the way down. Yeah, it used to be. This was this was sort of union. You know, it was you had urban Democrats. Union Democrats. Well, this is why was a Democratic state. Made it happen and That's exactly right. That. This well, is the Union Democrats. All these Union Democratic counties, whether uh, it, the one the Connor Lamb district. Well, and all so of I was that, just going to say, check is, a little bit of. Is, um, there's not, like I said, the only blue left is Allegheny. Uh, let's see what, how, what kind of historical performance uh, we're doing here, and as you can see, he's actually uh, performing slightly better than Clinton and Obama the last two. Yeah, well, and Chuck, very briefly, um, you mentioned Philadelphia, obviously critical, but there's a couple House races. Republicans are watching swing areas, the Connor Lamb District, another one in outside of Scranton, where they think they're seeing Democrats tick upward, perhaps hanging on there, which they take as another potentially bad sign uh, for Donald Trump uh, in Pennsylvania. So we're waiting on Pennsylvania. Um, we might get some, you know, I'll be, I, I wouldn't be surprised if sometime tomorrow Biden takes the lead. As this vote comes in in Pennsylvania, and that 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 is a that becomes a narrative changing moment, not just you know not us calling the state, but just when you're waiting for these numbers. Here, the president wants to file lawsuits. All of a sudden, he's losing Pennsylvania too, right? And then it's you know you you're just you're running out of places to find your 270 electoral votes. All right, let's uh, back with us now our Democratic Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill and editor of the National Review, Rich Lowry. Uh, good to have, Lowry, good to have both of you uh, uh, with us. Claire, you're watching, hopefully, uh, uh, Chuck's explanation there at the board. Uh, what are you thinking right now tonight for uh, the Biden team and what they're seeing and what the reality is of, of, of these paths that they apparently have? Listen, it will be terrific if Joe Biden uh, carries Pennsylvania. They worked very hard there. It was the focus of their campaign. It'll be great if we can flip Arizona finally uh, in the next couple of days and put it in the Democratic column. But the prize I think the campaign would be most excited about is Georgia. Uh, that is a, a strike in the heart of the South. It is, um, and a lot of work has gone into working that vote in the Atlanta and the suburbs. And besides that, think about this. If Joe Biden wins Georgia, that has huge implications for control of the Senate, because that means if he can win Georgia, so can those Senate candidates in a, sh a few short months, which could deliver the majority to the Democrats in the Senate would be a, a game changer for the Biden administration. We, we've been talking, Georgia really wasn't anybody's mind, and I don't know, a month or two ago, in, in terms of, oh, I just meant it's Georgia. Yeah, you're very good. Oh, wow. In fact, last year, we thought it was smooth. I thought it was smooth. I should have disowned it, right? Good job. Oh, Georgia? There you go. I don't even remember my question. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't on anyone's mind oh, for right, yeah. for months uh, heading in you know heading into this. I mean, you know, Chuck, we didn't have very many conversations. You and I've been talking on and off about this race uh, for gosh, you know, a year. No, plus those now. the special we bought because in a runoff you never knew. But even right. like the Purdue race, there was a lot of you know, like Ossoff keeps running. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those like Texas, one of those things where every year Democrats say, no, really, this time, no, really, it's going to happen. It's rich, rich, you, rich. Do you? I mean, do you think this is a, a significant, significant moment, uh, a shift, or is this just a 2020 anomaly? 
of the way the forces came together. Well, it was certainly significant in terms of getting to 270. There's no doubt about that. If Georgia slips out of Trump's hands, then you're on this unlikely scenario. He needs to hold on to Pennsylvania, and he needs to flip Arizona and Nevada, and that gets him to a 269-269 tie. Uh, so that, that's a pretty fanciful scenario. And look, Georgia, it, it um, reflects a lot of work by Stacey Abrams, registering a lot of new Democrats and just the swing of suburbs against Republicans in the Trump era. I wouldn't be sure. I was just going to say. I wouldn't be as certain as Claire that, uh, that it, those runoffs, if Biden wins, I think Republicans are more likely to win those two likely two runoffs in Georgia in the Georgia Senate races rather than lose. I, I think that it would naturally, the dynamic would be we're running as a check By the way, on uh, Joe Biden. There's the two, two examples of this. Bill Clinton wins the presidency in 92, uh, a Senate incumbent named Reich Fowler uh, gets forced into a runoff by a guy named Paul Coverdell. Coverdell wins the runoff. Yeah. Uh, Sachs check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chambliss, Jim Martin in 2008. That was a shocker. Nobody expected, nobody was talking about that Senate race end up in a runoff, and it was a blowout. But what we've never had, Rich, uh, and this is where it's never been a Democrat in one of these runoffs, an African-American uh, Democrat is certainly somebody with the, with the uh, persona uh, uh, of Reverend Warnock. And that's something in talking to Republicans in Georgia who said to me, that makes them very nervous because what has been the secret of their success in surviving runoffs is there, has been, um, there hasn't been an enthusiastic Democratic get out the vote effort, particularly among African-Americans. That could change with Raphael mm -hmm. Warren. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Well, we uh, we'll, we'll pause. We're in suspended animation with Georgia on our minds, guys. I was just kicking myself. No, I mean, it's Are you going to start singing Eagles lyrics with Arizona? Yeah, right? Perhaps. Winslow, Arizona. Yeah, yes, uh, you know I love the Eagles. Let's go to justice correspondent Pete Williams and Stanford law professor and NBC News legal analyst Nate Persley. Professor Persley, you're just joining us. I, it's been a very dignified broadcast for the last 24 <laughs> hours, but we're in the final stretch here. Um, let me start with Pete because, Pete, we've been talking about – I look at the, the legal picture here – having two tracks. One is the recount track, which we are likely to see in Wisconsin, and we'll see how it turns out in other states. Another is the lawsuit track, and um, it, it can be death by a thousand cuts in the terms of the way we do elections. You have to file lots of lawsuits in lots of states on lots of issues, but what does it amount to? Uh, what's your take on the, the legal strategy that seems to be um, in the offing tonight, right now from the Trump campaign, potentially depending on what we see Right. I think the lawsuits really don't amount to a great deal. They're sort of nibbling away at the margins how how ballots are being handled, whether observers are getting to watch them, or whether machines are checking the votes of the signatures instead of people, uh, whether people are given the chance to cure their, their mistakes on their ballot and whether that was right or wrong. You know, the only one that's likely going to count is the one that could drag the Supreme Court into the election. And, of course, that's already sitting there. It's the challenge to the Pennsylvania court order that was issued in December that extended the deadline for mail ballots until Friday. And, as you know, Republicans say that was invalid. They say only the state legislature could have changed the rules, and there are at least four justices who agree with that claim. So if it turns out that the uh, outcome of the election could depend on the mail ballots in Pennsylvania that arrive between today and Friday, then the Republicans would likely ask the Supreme Court to hear their appeal and act quickly, and this time Amy Coney Barrett would be able to take part. 
But the big question, of course, is what's the margin of litigation? Are there enough votes to make it worthwhile to fight over? And we just don't know the answer to that. And I just want to raise one other thing that's not about lawsuits. I, I mentioned it yesterday at, I think, 3 in the morning or something. But it, what brought it to mind was Chuck describing earlier that the outcome of the electoral vote could be 270 to 268. And if that's the case, then I think the candidates and their parties will be leaning very hard on those presidential electors to remain faithful to their commitments, those people who meet it as the electoral college. They may also face pressure campaigns to become faithless and vote for somebody else, and that could potentially change the outcome of the election. As Nate knows, this past term, the Supreme Court upheld laws in 33 states that say you have to vote for the winner of the popular vote, but the fact is only 14 of those states have laws that actually allow them to make a substitution. If somebody goes rogue, they can throw that person out and drag someone else in and say, you count the vote for the person who won the popular vote. So if it's really, really close, given all that else that's gone on, I think those, those collectors are going to face a lot of pressure. I'd love to hear Nate weigh in on that, on that yeah. uh, possibility. Well, I, I sort of feel that we need to jump off that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know there are a lot of There's a lot between now and then. Um, right now we are at the sort of throw spaghetti at the wall phase of litigation, which is that we have all kinds of claims that are being uh, launched by the Trump campaign, uh, and we don't know which ones, if any, will stick. But a lot of it is, is sort of continuing the campaign narrative against absentee ballots that they're inherently fraudulent or problematic. And so there's allegations of political manipulation or departures from the legislative, you know, from the statutes in the states, or that uh, there's been other malfeasance, um, including going beyond the deadlines. And so we'll see, again, whether any of that matters in terms of shifting the margin of uh, litigation in, in, in each of these states. I want to emphasize one other thing, though, which I think dovetails with what people say, which is that part of the strategy here is also to delay, right, to, to prevent a final count and certification from happening in these states. Uh, and then if you do that, well, then, then we could see some action with respect to the state legislatures. But these states are going to get these recounts done, or not just the recounts, the counts done in the next few days, uh, and then we'll have a really good idea as to who's in the head. This is a maybe too technical of a question, but are, as a general matter, are courts deferential to the local authorities, the election officials, the states, and their own processes? I mean, are they kind of reluctant to disrupt the business of, of elections? In general, yes, but um, one thing we saw this term with the cases that went up to the Supreme Court is that when it comes to presidential elections, there's a real fissure on the Supreme Court as to whether they will give deference to local officials or whether they put sort of primacy in the state legislature. Uh, this was a sort of zombie legal argument that seemed to be put to rest with Bush versus Gore, but which has come up in the last few years. And it's, it seems that at least five members of the Supreme Court now probably believe it. All right. We know four for sure, maybe five, with Amy Coney Barrett there. Okay. Well, um... Uh, the plot is always thickening, especially when you get Pete Williams and uh, Professor Persley involved. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Well, it's the collector thing. That, I mean, you know, exactly. I, I think Hillary Clinton's going to be a New York elector. I think I read that, that Hillary Clinton is going to be. And by the way, though, campaigns, because of this faithless elector thing, campaigns now do spend more time if we're making talk sure about it. 
making sure, right, the actual people who cast the ballot. Yes, so that's what the Electoral College is. It's actually 538 people who will meet in early December and actually cast those votes on behalf of the states, and they're supposed to cast the votes that represent the popular vote in their particular states. That this issue of a faithless elector, the notion that perhaps because of a pressure campaign, some elector might say, you know what, you I'm actually going to vote for the other guy. I call it it's what's in the Constitution. Well, and, 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 and that's the thing. I, I'll be honest. I, I, I thought that when that case went in there and I, I said it's written into the Constitution, it's one of those things that I was surprised it's they just allowed that to be upheld. They allowed the state, uh, the, the state's restrictions on it to be upheld. That one mildly surprised me for, from all our strict constitutional. All right. Well, well um, we shall see. <laughs> Stock market. Stock market yes. has reacted in, in a big way to all this, and not the way that many people might uh, might have assumed. Uh, these are the futures. Let's before I get it over my head. Let's go see new <laughs> business correspondent Stephanie Rule. Stephanie, tell me why the market uh, seems to like this uncertainty. Well, I promise, Lester, it is not over your head. Um, we are seeing uh, futures market extend the gains that we saw earlier today. And it's not just about one candidate or the other, because obviously we don't know the winner. It's also about the process. And it might not feel like it's all of us who are waiting here for minutes and hours, but the process is actually working. The markets are very sensitive to big disruptions. They were worried about voting irregularities, social unrest, and for the most part, we haven't seen any of that. Our anxiety is high, but that's about it. And, you know, where it's interesting for the president, President Trump has called himself Mr. Market. Chuck, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. No one is better at selling this economy than President Trump. And if you look at what the stock market has done, it's performed very well over the last few years, and it's been one of the president's best scorecards. We even saw it work in the exit polls. For senior citizens who are reliant on their retirement income, many of them stayed with Trump. They listened to him when he said, without me, you'll lose your 401k. However, here we are. The stock market continues to go up, and Joe Biden is ticking higher in terms of electoral votes. All right, Stephanie Rural, thanks very much. Uh, we're going to take a break. More to come as Decision 2020 special coverage continues. Don't go anywhere. Dolph Lundgren, you've got a 160 IQ.